0: Welcome to Pathways. I'm Randy Brutkowitz, and today we're talking with Dr. Brian Dunican. Dr. Dunacan received his PhD degree in molecular biophysics and biochemistry from Yale University. He's now an associate with McKinsey & Company in their New Jersey office. McKinsey & Company is a worldwide management consulting firm. It conducts qualitative and quantitative analysis in order to evaluate management decisions across the public and private sectors. His work is primarily in the pharmaceutical and private equity industries, supporting client engagements in strategy, transactions, and operations. How did he go from discovering 37 probable new species of endophytic fungi in the Borneo rainforest to associate in a consulting firm? Let's find out. Brian, welcome to Pathways.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Brian. Let's start off the bat with your position as associate with McKinsey & Company. What does your job title actually mean and what's a typical day for you look like?
1: As an associate at at McKinsey, that's the sort of basic consultant uh, entry level position for people who have advanced degrees in either uh, the sciences, um, law or medicine or MBAs. So we're sort of the individual. We're among the individual contributors at, at the firm. Uh, the typical day is, I think, the answer to that question is one of the reasons that I really like consulting, which is to say that there's not very many typical days, as the as the work that we're engaged in changes quite frequently, and working uh, transitioning from project to project or client to client uh, can change rather significantly. But generally speaking, what I try to what I what I do is work with uh, our in our individual clients, the other members of my small working team, on a single study, and the leadership of the firm to answer our clients' uh, uh, most pressing questions. And that changes based on the topic. So if it's a strategy question, if it's a strategy question, we we'll spend a lot of time in uh, conceptual problem solving. What are the types of what are the type possible uh, what are the possible options going forward? Or how do we break down an entire an entire set of strategy potentials? And then how do we rank those? If it's something a little more quantitative, I might spend my time looking for looking for external benchmarks or raw data that I can turn into a that I can turn into a recommendation or a series of a series of insights. And that could be a lot of Excel, a lot of direct interviews with experts in the or, um, or significant amount of just primary of uh, secondary research, so that changes my day to day quite a bit.
0: Could you tell us how much travel your your job entails?
1: It entails again. This is going to depend a little bit on who uh, who I'm working with, but the job can entail up to eighty percent travel. So that is if I'm uh, our model has us working at the client site, hand in hand with our with our client partners four days out of the week. And then on Friday, we go back to our home offices. Uh, and so on several of my projects, I've been at remote sites, spanning from I live, I live in New York. So remote sites for me have been uh, near Boston, in uh, Kansas, in, and briefly in London, uh, and a few other locations. Or I can be at a fairly local site here in New Jersey or even New York City itself, which has me uh, sleeping in my sleeping at home every evening.
0: Do you ever have the opportunity to work from home?
1: On occasion, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to work from home in between, in between studies in particular, uh, working on working on a, uh, internal materials, all give the opportunity to occasionally work from home. But uh, the predominant model is, is the four days at the client site. And then sometimes those Fridays, you can, you can option to, to work at home as opposed to going into the home office.
0: All right. So you have a science PhD. How did you learn about the type of job that you have now?
1: I learned about it uh, through the consult, uh, consulting club, actually, at school. Uh, I forget what first uh, brought it to my attention, but there was a pretty active uh, consulting, uh, consulting club at, at Yale, even among the graduate graduate students. And we not only prepared for Prepared for the interview process, but they had a, a pro bono consulting uh, consulting group where we would work with local businesses and uh, sort of answer individual and help them answer individual questions that they might have free of charge. And it was a great sort of uh, practice for us and also really got me into the, uh, kind of into and interested in and in addressing the business questions as well as the
0: And so you answered my question about the what the group did. It's the, the, the Yale Graduate Student Consulting Group. Right. Maybe give us a little bit more information about that in terms of, of how it was formed and, and how many people participate.
1: Uh, let's see. I don't know precisely, it was formed before, before I joined. It was already in place when I was entering my latter years of graduate school. Uh, there were probably 20 or so fairly active members who would go, particularly during the summer, we'd have weekly meetings or even, uh, or even more common than that. Uh, they also run a annual case competition, which uh, was really my first introduction to uh, consulting, where um, the consulting club sponsors this competition where they'll give you a big dump of data and a specific prompt or question. And then you working with a team of your friends, say six, six or so, uh, build a recommendation inside of seven days and present that in a competitive setting. And the judges were actually um, were consultants working for some of the some of the big big firms that came back. Uh, basically, mostly alumni. And that was a lot of fun for me. I joined with five of my friends from the lab, and we spent a whole week on this. Put together a uh, put together a recommendation on how on how to a few years ago be. The prompt was how to, um, the prompt was how to best allocate money from a UN fund to the victims of cholera in Haiti.
0: Real-world experiences in terms of practice or uh, exercise. Exactly. Quite interesting. So, were you always interested in science? As I like to ask the guests on Pathways, when were you bitten by the bug?
1: For me, it was yes. It was very early. Uh, I've always been, always been very interested in science. I think it was probably, um, you know, Star Trek fans since about the time I could watch television and, uh, they, you know, the, the crew of the, the crew of the enterprise is always setting out and solving their problems with science. And the fundamental mission was one of exploration. And that's, I think probably what got me started. But from there, the science classes have always been my favorites in school and, um, uh, I worked a little bit outside of school too, pulling in wherever, wherever possible.
0: That's great, and I guess for me, thinking about being bitten by the science bug and how you're impacted or I guess fall into science, are any of your relatives scientists or close friends?
1: Um, no. No, not professionally. Close friends now, yeah, well, but, but most of whom I met at school.
0: I have, ha- hate to say about Star Trek because you talked about, you're probably Star Trek The Next Generation, and I was watching the original Star Trek where with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy, and occasionally my parents would let me stay up till 10 o'clock when it started so I could watch it.
1: You're right, it was a different series, but, but I wrote the same experience, getting to stay up a little later.
0: I love Star Trek. I still, I guess I am a, a Trekkie. We have Gen Con in Indianapolis, which I think is a lot of, of fun. So you have, you got a concurrent bachelor's and master's degree. So what compelled you to do that? And what was your career goal at that point in time?
1: What compelled me to do that? Well, there was probably two things. The first is just interest. the The master's degree came was to some of the more advanced chemistry courses that my university offered. So it was setting out to take those at an earlier frame of time and just wanting to hit that next level. Uh, while I was in the process, I fulfilled most of the requirements of the master's degree, so I kind of finished, finished that up while I was there. Uh, also, the school allowed me to do so. I think that was one of the, the great credits, uh, great credit to Stevens Institute where I did my undergraduate. Um, they allowed me to take additional courses and they allowed me with, uh, because it was a small school, they allowed me to, um, engage in those earlier, uh, with the faculty permission. So that was really exciting for me. You asked also what my career goals were as I was finishing up, uh, my undergraduate and, uh, master's degree. And at that point, um, I wanted to go into somewhere where I could put my the science that I'd studied to use and also to sort of join that forefront of. Uh, forefront of um, knowledge and application, but I, I actually mostly applied to pharmaceutical companies and their R and D divisions prior to also uh, setting up for graduate school. And I think um, what dissuaded me in the end from that was uh, just that I wasn't done yet uh, when it came to school. I looked at sort of what the the options were with the, the chemistry degree, and while interesting, they were. Mostly, at the, mostly exclusively at the bench. And when I was starting to talk to people at the various companies that I was interviewing, it became clear that uh, those jobs I was most interested in, thinking sort of strategically about what sort of, product, what sort of um, research we're doing and where, where we want to allocate our resources to really push forward, it was people who had PhDs that were able to do that. And so that's what sort of made my decision for me to go and, get the, get the doctorate
0: degree. This is a question I I like to ask as well in terms of really mentors and how they influenced you in terms of the area that for your PhD study and actually even area after your, your career area as, as an associate. Could you talk a little bit about how mentors influenced you in a very positive way to help you end up where you're at today?
1: So, I mean, particularly uh, in the PhD area, the mentor is a, uh, a huge influence on the work you do and how you, even your total experience in the five or six years that it take to complete the PhD. And uh, my advisor, uh, Dr. Scott Strobel, uh, had, was, in my opinion, a, a, an excellent mentor. Uh, he, he, allows a sufficient amount of freedom for his doctorate students to pursue the things that we're interested in and also to learn the the difficult lessons that are really fundamental to uh, the doctoral work about creating the uh, experiments, designing the experiments and um, chasing them down, sometimes even when they don't go to the right place, but also then providing uh, all of the support you need in order to uh, eventually be successful. And to problem solve with you what it is that you need to do to uh, reach the completion of your project. Um, In addition to that, in my last year at last couple of years at the uh, in my doctorate program, he also um, was supportive when I when I realized that I was probably going to transition away from uh, the purely academic space and um, move into the business consulting and asked fundamentally like. It's not, he said, "It's not something that I have a lot of experience in, but how can I help you?" And I think that's a, that's a really important part about a uh, really important quality among the best mentors is they ask you, you know, "How can I help?" and "How can I best support you?" When the, when you made the decision to go somewhere.
0: Yeah, they, I think one of the most important things, and we, and we hear that from our graduate students and postdocs, and, and even across, and all across the country, where they're concerned about talking to their their mentor about a non-academic career path because you think about the outside world, so to speak. Lay people consider graduate education to be professors cloning themselves, and a lot, you know a lot of faculty members. They, as your mentor said, he doesn't know anything other than how to be a scientist. But but how can I help you get there? That kind of support to me is phenomenal, and and. Unfortunately, I think we're getting more of that, but unfortunately we don't have quite enough yet where I think mentors just need to open up and, and be willing to allow others help their their students or postdocs uh, guide them to explore other potential career paths and let them be happy. So, Was there a, a defining moment? You said your, your mentor did support you in this and wanted to help you any way he could. But was there a defining moment where you decided, you know what, I want to go this direction, and when that light bulb went off or that that turn in the uh, turn on a dime to a different a different direction?
1: It may have been somewhere in one of the two case competitions that I that I worked on, um, actually, and I, I meant this is the the other one that I didn't mention, and again. Uh, and we were working on a project the question for the the competition was about uh product design for a um for a medical devices company and we put together a recommendation it took about took about a week and a half or two weeks i think in a small team working together very closely and the project for us went went very well actually we we won the uh we ended up winning the competition which was exciting in and of itself but but not what um it did it for me what happened afterwards was they did the you know they announced the winners and they um presented the the ceremonial enormous check right just like you see uh and then uh, one of the judges came up to us our team and he introduced himself and he said so i wrote that case and uh i wrote it because i it's currently a problem i'm facing in my business like i'm a manager for this bot, for a uh, for the medical devices company. And this is something that we don't know the answer to or we didn't. So it would really like it if you and your team could come and give that same presentation you just gave us uh, to my management team back at our, back at our headquarters. And um, so there's a moment of realization that said like, oh, this wasn't just an academic exercise for me doing this competition. Like all of the, he basically told us like all of the data, it's all real. So is the question. And we, so we went to the site, and we talked to their management team. We gave our little 20-minute spiel, and then we had an hour and a half or so worth of interaction, talking, talking through all of their additional issues, all the other things that we – basically a question-and-answer session. Um, and we learned a lot more about how, how the extra qualifications that, that made the problem much deeper, but also I think we, we ended up really influencing how they thought about it just in a fairly short amount of time. To bring that back to your original question, why was that sort of the defining moment for me? I think it was because I was able to impact with my sort of problem-solving ability. I was able to have an impact on a product that actually exists in the real world, uh, something that is going to be used by people um, and actions going to be taken based on, based on um, work that I did. And that's not impossible to find in science, of course. I think, like, what drew me to it originally is when you, like, write really nail it. Science, like, can change our world. Um, and I still believe that. But I think, for me, it was, it was the contrast of sort of the shorter time frame and the immediate, uh, kind of, immediate realization of an impact versus something that, while interesting, might not see implementation for a decade or more on the, on the purely basic research side of things. And I think that, that contrast is like, wow, this is something I could really, I could really get behind doing for a long time. And I had a lot of fun during the whole pro- during the process of setting it
0: up. Well, it's interesting. It, it's certainly from your description that you're using all of your graduate training problem-solving skills, giving a presentation, answering questions that maybe you hadn't heard before and you had to think on your feet, things that we all have to do in our graduate training. So that's encouraging, I think important for listeners to know that, yeah, you're using those skills you developed in graduate school and those are very important for your applications in your career no matter what you do. Now you, you went from your PhD into this position, without doing a postdoc, right? Correct. Does any do people in your profession often or usually have a postdoc experience before they start in, their, in these positions?
1: I would say usually no, but you certainly could. Um, I think most people make the transition after, say, graduate school. Um, a number of people come from PhDs, but also. Uh, a lot of my coworkers have JDs or MDs or MBAs. Uh, a, few, a few do have postdoc positions, but I think probably the predominant majority kind of realize their shift in interest during, the, uh, during their PhD.
0: If somebody who is a graduate student or postdoc, they list, they're listening to us talking today, and they th- think, you know, we don't have one of those consulting clubs at my school, but yeah. I'm, I- I'm interested in learning more about this being a, a consultant. How would, I, how would I find those, uh, inf- that information?
1: So the clubs of the school are, are of course, um, uh, good when you can get them, but you, you raise a good point. I think I would look at neighboring universities. Uh, if you just wanted to uh, try something out, I'd look at some neighboring universities or, or do searches for a case competition. So it was mostly the two I participated in at Yale were almost all Yale students, but there were a few coming in from other, other universities. And just because of my affiliation with the consulting club, we'd get an email every once in a while that said, hey, you know, Columbia or NYU is hosting a competition if anyone wants to come down. Uh, so certainly many of them will allow entrance from other schools. Um, I think these are great because they're short time commitments. It takes like about a week and it's self-contained. And You can do it with your friends, so uh, and you don't need to. You don't need any pre knowledge to do it. So I would say, like, look to some neighboring universities, um, see if there's one coming up, and like grab five friends and, and try it. Uh, that's still got some activation barrier, though. Uh, I think the other would be, of course, the internet. Um, all of the major firms where I all the firms where I applied had pretty extensive websites for applicants. Uh, including uh, practice interviews and uh, long descriptions of what's kind of a day in the life of a consultant and what it is we're looking for and what it is that uh, we try to accomplish in our work. So I'd, I'd go. I'd go there as well.
0: Are there like at Yale? Where was the uh, business school involved at all with this group, or was, it, was this something uh, separate? Our group
1: was almost it was all graduate students, um, but I think there was a, a parallel.
0: So maybe that would be some possibility or some approach that a student or postdoc could take if they, if they have a business school either on their campus or at a school nearby where they could perhaps find out if they have these types of clubs that they could potentially participate in those to get the kind of exposure and information about positions in consulting.
1: Yeah, I think that would also be a good avenue. Two others that um, I would say, and I used a little bit, although not not first, would be uh, the career services department. Um, so they might they might be able to point either discuss directly uh, with you or point you to, to good resources. And secondly, the your alumni network. Um, find out if any of your if any of your alumni have gone into consulting, uh, and then uh, try to set up a, a informational interview.
0: What's been your greatest challenge in your role?
1: I think my greatest challenge has been um, sort of as much as all the things I learned in my PhD have continued to help me across the the two years I've been involved in this and been a great asset. And also some of that training is, leads to one of my greatest challenges, which is one of wanting to be very precise and very uh, analytical. Um, And that analysis is, of course, good, but I think when we're in our PhDs, we need, to, we need to be certain to 99 or seven decimal places or something. I think I, I did a project where I literally had to be seven decimal places out. Uh, you don't, and it took four years. You don't have that luxury um, in, um, in any of the engagements that I've been in. Uh, the shortest projects that I've done are two weeks long, start to finish, so you have a very crisp question that you need to answer, but in two weeks you're going to need to. There's still going to be some ambiguity, and you need to come to a very good answer inside of two weeks instead of a near perfect answer in two years. Uh, and that making that adjustment in the way I think and the way I prioritize my work has been probably
0: the biggest thing that, that uh, I've struggled. With. Okay, here's my last question, and my question is. Is there a question I haven't asked that you think I should have asked you?
1: Um, is it fun?
0: All right, tell tell us. Is it fun doing what you're doing? You're talking about using all of your your graduate education and how that's been really important. You have a compressed time frame, so you have a bit of different pressure there. It's kind of a challenge, but at the end of the day, do you when you go home or go back to your hotel because you're you're at a remote site? You think. Gosh, I had fun today.
1: The answer, yes, actually, the answer is the answer definitely yes. The, as much as it can seem like the compressed time frame is stressful, it's also it means that every day sort of like matters. It's fast paced, it's moving. You're interacting with a lot of people, uh, many of whom you you know you're just meeting for the first time or have just met recently. You have a real serious question to answer, so it's intellectually challenging on like a, on a daily basis, and um, you see impact. I've I've worked on projects where I read about the, I've read about the outcomes in the newspapers in the following weeks. Uh, it's exciting and yeah, it's, it's fun.
0: That would be a blast, being able to see in the newspaper something that you worked on and say, look, it's, it hit the press, it's great. Yeah. Okay, Brian, thanks very, very much. Of course, very happy to. I would like to thank my guest, Dr. Brian Duncan, for sharing his story of the steps he took from earning a PhD in molecular biophysics and biochemistry to serving in a consulting firm focused on the pharmaceutical and private equity industries. I also thank all of you for joining us on this podcast today. Remember, you can find us on the Indiana University School of Medicine's website, SoundCloud, and on iTunes under IUSM Pathways. Also, in addition to the audio from our broadcast, for some of our interviews, we've captured the video as well. Join us next time on Pathways, as we explore the career path of another professional who holds a PhD in the sciences, which landed them in their current and very exciting non-academic position. I'm Brandy Brutkowitz.
1: The theme music for Pathways, Supernova, was composed
0: by Aaron Brutkowitz. Pathways is a production of the Indiana University School of Medicine.